I recently, I recently went to visit someone, uh, and it was in the evening. And as I went to their house, I had to cut across the common because I thought it's a pleasant night. It'd been warm and sunny all day. And I thought, well, I'll just walk. I'll just walk there. So I went across the common, and that cool, refreshing breeze that we just sort of sang of was there. And I'd not put a coat on. And I went, this is fine. This is good. I like this. And then as I headed home afterwards, an hour or so later, the sun had set. And it was cooler. And it wasn't quite so much a nice refreshing breeze. There was a chill. But it was still pleasant all the same. And I thought, I'll walk the same way back as I came. Because that way I'm sure that I'll actually get there. Back to my home. So... I set off across the common, and by now, of course, it was dark. It was pitch black. And I stepped out in faith, and I could see Lewis Road ahead of me on the other side of the common. But I couldn't see very much where I actually was. There was maybe something there about stepping out in faith because the ground all around me was in darkness. Everything nearby was in darkness. And then I realised that not only could I see the other side of the common, I could see millions of miles away too because the stars were in the sky and the darkness of the night gradually gave way to many, many, many twinkling stars as my eyes got used to being in those circumstances. And the further I walked, the more stars seemed to be there. And I started to look not so much ahead, but up. And if you've ever walked like that, it's probably not a good idea. In the end, I stopped and I stayed put. And I just took in the enormity of it, of the heavens stretched above me. It was mesmerising. And after some time... I carried on my journey. I think I was in a similar place that night to where the writer of that hymn we've just sang was singing God's praise. And also a similar place to the writer of Psalm 8, King David. I'd stood there that night and looked up 
and pondered creation. Why, Lord? Why, O one that has created all this, do you think anything of humanity? Why do you think anything of me? Why do you care about me? Who am I that you love me? But whenever we question ourselves about who am I, we really have to rethink it and say, who is God? And that's where we were a couple of weeks ago. We said, who is God? And we had this, God is God. He's the one who is all-powerful and yet is so full of love and compassion. False gods are lifeless and powerless. But the true God is living and omnipotent. And it is this God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, who has made us, and not just made us, but made us in his image. In Genesis, it describes the process of being made in his image as Adam being moulded from the clay, from the earth, from the ground, and life being breathed into him. While the false gods were made by man in Athens, had no power or ability, the inanimate sculpture that God makes becomes a living being. The inverse of what humans do when they make their false gods. And the image God makes is not a pictorial representation of himself with a head and a body and limbs. It's a humanity that is able to love, able to make things, able to choose what is right, able to live. This is the image of God that we are. God has made us to be like him, but to be on earth. And to live on the earth in the way that he rules from the heavens. In the words of David, we're made to be a little lower, just a little lower than the angels, than the heavenly beings. That's who man is, just a little lower than the heavenly beings. And yet, 
God has made us, that we are crowned with glory and honour. Now, I don't know about you, but when I woke up this morning, I didn't particularly get up and think, yes, I'm crowned with glory and honour. You know, that's not really the first thought going through my mind. But God has given you that. He's put you in that position. He made you to be crowned with glory and honour. To have a special place in creation. You are someone special to God. We have this position, this rank, which is above the other living creatures. And by having this heavenly appointment, it gives us humanity, the sons of man and daughters of man. It gives us an authority that is different from any other living being on the planet. And it's a privilege to be given this position of power by God. But with power comes responsibility. Responsibility for how we use that power, for how we make our decisions, for how we live our lives. This week is a general election. And decisions are to be made and votes are to be cast. And people will be elected and a government will, maybe not on Friday morning, but at some time soon, a government will be formed. And for us in that process of casting our vote... And for the person that is elected, there is something about power. And after Thursday, whoever is elected will be in a place of power, able to make new decisions. But they must remember that they are responsible not just to the voters but are responsible to God for that place that they have been able to enter. And whoever that person is will need our prayers, whether we like them or not, whether we support their party. They might do things that we disagree with. They might make decisions Or say something that doesn't reflect our faith. But those people are loved by God. They are crowned with glory and honour. And they need to know what is right. So please pray for whoever is elected. 
the government in this country is not the action of one individual. It's not a dictatorship. But the government will form to work together as an act of corporate responsibility. And humanity has been called together by God to act in a joint responsibility. To be his people and to think of his will and do his work on earth. In the passage where Adam is formed in Genesis, we're seeing that he's given dominion over the earth. And in that task, he's called firstly to work the land, to be a farmer, to take something of God's creation and make it happen on earth to bring order out of chaos and whatever we have done in our lives or will do in our lives that is what we are called to do here on earth to be in God's image and just as the creator spoke into the darkness and created light and the stars and the earth So he calls to us to serve and create and be productive. Whether it's through farming or building homes or being a scientist or a paramedic or raising children or working in a shop. Whatever it is, God calls us to perform it in a way that reflects him. To be in his image. To be his people. And use the gifts and the experience that he's previously blessed us with. God has made us that we may further his plans. That might be through praying for others as they perform those roles today. Seeing That the love of God is passed on. And proclaiming that his will should be done. The other aspect of what Adam has to do. Was to take care of Eden. To take care of creation. Is not to to simply take care of the crops. That's part of working the land. This call on Adam is to think ethically. The very act of being a farmer, ploughing the field which will grow the crops, involves a destruction of how it previously was. To change it and bring a new being. So God has called Adam not to keep things as they were, 
but at the same time to watch how he does it. To do it ethically. To think of the right way he's supposed to proceed. Internationally, we might think of how farming goes on. Maybe deforestation in the Amazon, making space for cattle ranches. Or in the Borneo jungle, where trees are chopped down and other trees damaged, in the process of palm oil production for the many, many products that use it, ranging from shampoo to ice cream. Whatever we do in life, however we shop for products that might have palm oil, God challenges us to do it as people that are made in his image. People who love the world, who love the people in the world, and who desires creation to be blessed and watched over. The third element is an expansion on that second one. For all creatures are put at humanity's feet. Each bird, each fish of the sea, each flock and herd and the beasts of the field... They're all put at our feet, the psalmist says. Adam encounters them and names them. He's given the task of saying which each species is. In God's eyes, each animal should be recognised, though humanity itself is separate from them, for we are named by God. The challenge here is whether we recognise those species and care for them or simply exploit them. The red rail and the dodo were living in the Mauritian Islands when Europeans came travelling. They discovered them in the 16th century. But less than 200 years later, after naming them, they were no longer there. The birds had gone. David Sam reminds us that whether they be wild or domesticated, we have a duty to think of them. And of their habitat. Our knowledge of God and his attributes. The knowledge of what he is should feed into who we are. And should make sure that we don't make those same mistakes again. 
will we as years pass take any notice of endangered animals or not? And what of the other things we find ourselves called to look after? What or who is at our feet today? Maybe our families. Maybe others within the church. Maybe our neighbours. How do we treat them? How do we care for them? How do we show that we are part of God's creation? That we are loved and called to serve? Our life is to be praise to him. Just as the angels sing in heaven, so we are called to sing praise on the earth. But not just with our song. We worship him with our service and living the life that he calls us to. Using the gifts he has given and seeing the hope of his kingdom grow. Until that day when all creation will sing his song. When Christ comes again. Amen.